Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher, I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster and Instagram influencer and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about a future. So, Darren Nees. Matthew Danaher. We're recording this very special. <laughs> lockdown mark, lockdown level four mark two episode. While we're sat in a, iso- well, in your case, absolutely isolating. <laughs> yeah. You're a potential close contact and you've been tested. Um, under, under Delta force regime here in uh, so mr chuck norris of the covid virus has uh, has appeared here in new zealand who would have predicted it everyone <laughs> that this would happen um unfortunately some of our, our port operating companies um have been a bit naughty um unfortunately the bubble with australia was in my personal opinion should never have been opened but there you go um, was closed a bit late, possibly, we might say. And uh, we have the Delta variant of COVID, COVID rampant in our communities. <laughs> we're all at home. So we're recording this episode. Our podcast was born in the first lockdown. It was indeed. And I was looking the other day and we'd done 12 episodes up until this point. And I think we started even later in the year. And I think this might even though we haven't introduced it as an episode, could be like episode 12. I don't think it's our hidden episode, but um, this is around our 12th episode for season two as well. So there must be something that when we start recording our 12th episode of a podcast, we go into level four. Yes, you could be right there. Um, definitely, feels like, definitely feels like we're returning to the womb. Um, some people might call it Auntie Jacinda's womb, but that'd be weird. So I won't call it that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes. We should be thinking way more than what we are actually to do this episode because I think there's so many things to discuss with this. Should we even be here at all? You mean alive and on the planet? And you think COVID is the virus sent to cure the planet of its disease, which is humans? Or are you, do you mean something else? COVID was sent here to improve our internet connection. That's the simple thing, right? Does that work for um, you, though? Does that work for you? Um, it does work for me. I haven't had so many problems with podcasting since I've been vaccinated. So um, it must work. Um, and it saves it's a fortune. Yeah. Now, should we actually even be in level four at all? And what I mean by that is not should we be locked down, but actually we were so far ahead of the world, so far ahead of the world, and have taken so long to vaccinate people. Actually, I don't even think we should even be here. Yeah, we should not never have opened the travel bubble uh, with Australia. That was the problem. That's, the, that's where it's come from. I always uh, said we should never, we can't trust Australia. Um, so I think you're right. We shouldn't be here because we should never have opened that travel bubble. That was the mistake. No, I don't think that was a mistake because I think if we'd have had some competence managing it, I don't think this would be an issue. Um, but this is about what? How many border leaks have we had now? These have been going on for 18 months. 
So we should not be surprised because we've had constant failure at the border. And we hear all of this stuff about, oh, you know, it's now time to get the rest of the essential workers vaccinated. Why aren't they vaccinated already? We've been talking about essential workers being vaccinated for six months. When we had the scare at Tauranga three weeks ago, nine of 94 people were vaccinated at the port. I do think there's um, been unnecessary delays in vaccination, and I think that's down to the DHBs. And I think that the whole, you know, what this has opened up to us, is what it's revealed to us as a country, is that having 25 separate um, so-called democratically run health bodies, um, health delivery bodies um, around the country is just ludicrous in a country of 5 million people. Um, you know, why do we need these? You know, um, I think having publicly owned health owned healthcare and publicly delivered healthcare is fantastic and really important. But in a country of 5 million, why do we need more than one um, body that's actually responsible for healthcare for the whole country? Or given that we're in New Zealand, maybe you want two, given um, the treaty and everything. But Certainly, you know, you don't need 25 geographical um, DHBs and they've been very patchy and diverse in their approaches to delivery, whether they've been su successful or not on their plans. But they've on the, on the whole, they've, there's been a lot of incompetence there. And I, I think that's down to the this very structure of the health system. I think the incompetence starts at the top, right, because the DHBs are government entities. But it. The whole thing starts at the top when our prime minister had to spend $40 million to secure enough vaccinations and decided to virtue signal to the rest of the world instead of doing it. Then we ran out of vaccinations. I was at a centre waiting for my first vaccination that had pre-booked appointments and ran out of vaccinations at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I, think the, I think incompetence starts at the top. And um, I think the government have handled this vaccination rollout really, really poorly. Um, and I think that's what's got us to the point that we're in. And Australia are in exactly the same position. They took the cocky approach of like, well, we don't have COVID. It's not an issue. They took forever. Now they're taking it serious. And now they've got the fastest vaccination rates pretty much anywhere in the world at the moment. Um, and we need to take a leaf out of that book and just get on with it because well, we already that's to be fair um so i think you're right i think you can i think it's good to compare us with australia in terms of the vaccination rollout i think both countries haven't been as fast as they could have been um i think you're absolutely right and i think it is there is a bit of like oh well we don't actually have covid in the community so you know we can take it a bit more steady which was possibly in hindsight a mistake for both countries so i think you're right and and we should be ramping up and actually i feel that we are ramping up because in fact, I have my uh, vaccinations booked for because of my age. I'm younger than you, obviously, Darren, as, as regular listeners will be aware. And anyone who's seen either of us on stage. Um... <laughs> Sorry, just had to throw that one in there. Um, but uh, I have my vaccinations lined up. But actually, then I was told I can just turn up tomorrow at my local vaccination centre and they'll probably be able to do me. That's farcical, though, isn't it? I mean, the problem all the way through is the... I think, you know, yeah, let's have a group one, group two, group three, group four. I think, yeah, in practice or in theory, that's great. In practice, that has not worked. And, and I know from personal experience, it hasn't worked because I was in group two and never even got contacted when group four started. I had to actually proactively make the approach and go, I think you've actually forgot about me. Um, yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. Um, and it was just lots of yeah, um, yeah, um, down the phone. 
because um, so obviously that system was not working. Um, so having a free for all now is probably the only way. I think now that Delta's a realism, a realism, um, we're probably going to end up having to vaccinate our way out of it, like Australia are. Um, yeah, I think we've probably closed down quick enough to limit the damage. And again, I think if that guy at Devonport hadn't gone the day that he'd have gone, this would be way worse than what it was because I don't think the government would play at all. Um, how Bloomfield's keeping his job at the moment is absolutely beyond me because the incompetence out of the Ministry of Health seems to be just by just just escalates by the day. But the bigger question I think we have to ask, and I think Australia have come to this landing already, and so has the rest of the world, um, and I think this will give us a lot to talk about, how much longer can New Zealand carry on an elimination strategy? Oh, I think we can, um, let's come on to that. I, I think we can carry on doing it. I mean, the fact is, you look at the economic damage that's been caused in other countries by not trying to pursue or not being able, not being in a position to pursue because because of the reality of ge geography and elimination strategy, the ongoing economic damage of, I know a lot of people that work in hospitality in the UK and they have just, well, not just even hospitality, but hospitality and other industries who have absolutely seen their life any chance of having a livelihood in the industry to which they'd given their lives to this to to now um having any chance of being able to continue in that is just just completely unbelievable to them now and even though the governments you know have done things to try and ameliorate what's happened it just seems unrealistic and it feels that knowing people in the industry here as well in new zealand it feels like we're in a much more robust position and that elimination has never meant and epidemiologists and the prime minister have publicly said elimination doesn't mean there's no covid it means that you absolutely minimize the impact of covid it's like you know you have a polio uh, elimination strategy it doesn't mean there's no polio in the world it means you do everything you can to minimize its impact everywhere you can and so I would argue that, yeah, an elimination strategy is the way to go, that economically it has been proven right. However, um, a, a, a popular expression among supporters of the National Party, for instance, is you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Um, and then my question is, what do you do with those eggs that you have broken? And how do you support them and make sure that if you are pursuing a strategy which requires really strict lockdowns uh, until everyone's vaccinated, uh, how do you provide the funding or do whatever else you can to minimise the impact on those parts of society or the economy or whatever? So I think the Prime Minister needs to go to the dictionary and change her word of what she wants to call it because elimination is the complete removal or destruction of something. So that indicates that you will, you will never have it. The problem I have with elimination strategy and I think this is why we need to find another plan because I don't think this government has got another plan. I genuinely don't believe outside of shutting down all the time they have any other idea. At what point do you stop locking down the country? Because if you've got 70 to 80% of the country vaccinated, you cannot just keep locking it down. You just can't do that. No, and I don't think you would. It's not sustainable, but I get the feeling that this government would. Because I don't think they've got any other way out of it. I just don't think they have another plan out of it. I know Hipkins has been saying today, oh, well, yeah, Delta may mean we have to relook at something. I damn think, yeah, you're absolutely damn right he does because 
I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can turn around to people at seventy percent. Never been. And I think if you do turn around to people at seventy percent vaccinated, they're not not going to listen, and they're just not going to do anything. I think people will just not listen at that point. No, I I agree, and that's why I don't think that's ever been the plan. And um, I I think the plan is that as soon as people are vaccinated, that as many people as possible are vaccinated. That and and like I said, I do agree with you about the you know there have been issues of the delay in the rollout, um, and that's that is a problem. Um, and it feels like it's now being ramped up quite rightly. Um, I don't think the plan's ever been to continue with the idea of level four rolling level four lockdowns. Um, every time there's a flare-up, once a certain critical percentage of the population, and I can't off the top of my head remember what it is, but I think it is around 70 to 75% is vaccinated, I think then that that's, that creates an entirely different world um, where you don't have to consider level four lockdowns ever again. This is, the fact is, this is the last thing they wanted to do is have another level four lockdown. And you say, oh, how long can you continue with rolling lockdowns? But what is it, 160 days since our last one which was quite a short one it was at level three um you know it's uh, most people were still working really you know you say how long can we continue well i don't think we the country could do another level four lockdown to be honest um and i think that's why it's imperative that we get people vaccinated as soon as possible um an interesting a question i've got for you because i find myself in a difficult position at the moment of having to keep an open mind on vaccinated people versus anti-vaxxers um, and in fact, I've been criticised in, in personally being criticised in the, in the media for defending anti-vaxxers, which is not the case at all. That was an t- absolute twisting of my words. But we have a significant percentage of the population out there that will refuse to get vaccinated. And while, you know, there's also going to be a percentage that can't be vaccinated for medical reasons, which everyone agrees, um, you know, that they should be accommodated in however, whichever way we can. Um, there's a percentage that don't want to be vaccinated. What do we do with them? We open the country up and if they become ill, they become ill. That's the risk you take with anything, right? That's the same as if I go to the doctor and he goes down and you got cancer and I go, well, I'm not having chemotherapy. He goes, okay, then, well, then I can't really do much else for you. You're going to have to suffer the consequence of not having chemotherapy. I think it's as simple as that. You cannot hold the 70% to ransom for the 20% because let's say, let's say 10% can't be vaccinated for health reasons. And I don't know what we do with that 10%, the same as what we do every year when any other illness appears. You have to kind of hope that they're going to be okay. But for the 20% that won't, you can't hold 70% at ransom for them. It's like, it's too bad. We need to move on. We've also got to understand that Delta is going to come back again. It's going to come back again because there is going to be someone that brings it over the border, whether they're vaccinated or not. And those 20% are going to be at risk. And let's be honest, right, 20% is 900,000 people to a million, actually about 1.1 million. So there's going to be 1.1 million people in this country approximately that aren't going to be vaccinated because they refuse to be. It's going to overwhelm the health system. Mm. It's going to happen. But unfortunately, you can't cripple businesses um, for the benefit of 20% of people. No, and I don't think anyone refuse. But that's not, uh, you know, no one's suggesting that we do. The question is, how do we, as you say, they're going to overwhelm the health system. How do we, so already, you know, some companies are saying, well, you actually, you can't work for us unless you're vaccinated. Oh, look, I think if that's a private business owned by private people, I think they can say whatever they want as long as they are not contravening human rights. Public listed companies are slightly different. Um, well, 
that's the thing about contravening human rights so this is the question right and there will be cases going to the human rights commission right now um where anti hardcore anti-vaxxers have deliberately got possibly (laughs) in my opinion have deliberately got jobs so they can take this to the human rights commission so they can be fired take this to the human rights commission with the support of anti-vaxxer lawyers to try and challenge this so I don't think this is an issue which me and you would disagree on, by the way. I'm just no, curious in your opinion on this, because, you know, my personal view is everyone should be vaccinated. And if you're not prepared to be vaccinated, screw you. Yeah, no, I've, I've got exactly the same opinion. Um, you know, um, I've, I've got vaccinated. My wife's got vaccinated. And we've had a long discussion with our kids now that 12 and above can be vaccinated. Mm. And at first, my kids were kind of, you know, they, they spend a lot of time on social media and they see a lot of this shit that's out there. But when we actually sat down and talked to them about, you know, the reason that they've got to the ages they've got without being ill was because of MMR, um, meningitis vaccinations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, that's the reason you've got to the ages you've got to without being seriously ill. And now both of them are like, when can I have it? I want it like now. Not because they want to go out and see their friends, although... They know that's going to be the end game. But just the actually, I just want to be well. They're, they're not sitting there watching Jacinda every day, fearful of all of the fear talk that's going on. That's not what's going on. They just kind of have come to that landing now of gone, this actually makes sense to get vaccinated because I want to go on holiday one day. I want to go to my friends <laughs> one day. I don't my education constantly compromised all the time. Um, you know, nobody enjoys lockdowns, right? Nobody. Um, so... It, it, those that just don't want to do it, I just think we just carry on without them. And, you know, it's been interesting watching the stories in America and the UK where these people are then really seriously ill and they're turning around to doctors and going, give me the vaccine. And the doctors are like, it's too late. Nice. Nice. <laughs> it's like you're either going to pull through this or you're not going to pull through yeah. this. That is literally where you've put yourself at. I've got someone that I, I won't say what, how I know them, but I'm, I've got someone that's going, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm going to take my chance. And I'm like, but you've got 70-odd-year-old parents. Do you want to take that chance for them? Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Um, but they're, they're hell-bent because they're healthy, they're going to be okay. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, you're going to compromise the people around you. Your question on what do companies do, I think, I don't know. I think people should push back on it and go, no, that's our rule. If you want to work here, if you don't want to work, if you don't want to be vaccinated, go and work for a company because there's probably companies out there run by anti-vaxxers that will probably take you on. Well, funny enough, I was actually in a meeting the other day where I suggested the very same thing. I think I said that we should set up a job exchange between pro-vax employers and anti-vax employers <laughs> to get the two. Because we've also had, there's also employers out there saying they won't employ you if you've been vaccinated. No, that's right. And, <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be a middle ground for everybody to go to, right? But I, I think, you know, I think businesses can have the right to say that. I, I don't, why would you not? I mean, it seems pretty draconian to do, but I think we're in pretty, you know, we're in times where, you know, none of us have ever seen times like this before. No, that's right. So the next the next question would be, why shouldn't the government just mandate compulsory vaccination for everyone? Which in um, effect is the same thing. It's the same thing. It's taking the onus off businesses and making it a nationwide thing. And this is where governments would find it harder than companies, is that companies are not seen as having to be democratic, whereas governments are meant to be democratic and they're there for the all people 
no matter what your views on religion, race, sex, you're there for yeah. all people. So to mandate it as a country, and probably why they won't, is if we do have 20% of the country that are anti-vaxxers and the government forced vaccination, being perfectly selfish, that's a million votes that Labour won't get next election. So there's a political element to it. Also, you're, you're there to represent the people, which was what annoyed me when Ardern didn't spend the 40 million because she claimed that no life was more important than another. Yes, given. However, you're actually voted for by the New Zealand people, so you're there to act on the best uh, on behalf of the New Zealand people, not the rest of the world. Um, but I think a government's always in a difficult situation. I mean, Biden has come out and said, you cannot work for the US government without a vaccination. But he hasn't said you can't be an American without a vaccination. So he has kind of stopped short of that. Yeah. Quite rightly as well. Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, I would agree with a large part of that. I think that um, having having been involved in conversations to try and convince, because you've also got a section of the population that are so-called vaccine hesitant. And um, they are people that have got legitimate concerns about vaccination and just need to be educated through the process and through why we believe that vaccination is the best way to deal with this. And you wouldn't, you know, the risk of going hard and saying, right, everyone's going to be vaccinated is you'd massively increase support for the likes of Billy TK. And remember Jamie Lee Ross? Former, I certainly do. Former guest of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> friend of the podcast, I'd say, although he's probably never listened to an episode, including the one he was on. Um, you know, people like that would suddenly find themselves a lot more powerful and influential, I think. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Um, I think to some extent, if employers want to mandate um, vaccination among their workforce, they have to justify it um, and explain exactly why they believe that's the case, that their workforce should be vaccinated, given the, um, you know, the fact that being vaccinated doesn't stop you catching it and passing it on. But what it does do is is massively minimise your risk of having to take much time off to, you know, expect to see them take. But yeah, I feel like we're probably on, on a similar page in terms of people need to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Vaccination needs to be sped up. Um, pressure needs to be put on the people who are vaccine hesitant. Education needs to be delivered. And we just need to get everyone done as soon as possible. Uh, I think there's a massive need to... In, invest a whole lot of more money um state money and state control into how these into public health into how these kind of things happen in the future and i think that if anything this is a massive argument in favor of a extremely socialist um way of running societies um so that we can have kind of central control over things we can see what's happening and respond flexibly and um yeah we can see uh you know proper decent public services being properly funded through tax heavy taxation um to allow it all to happen you see my problem here <laughs> at the moment right your government wants to control the health system your government wants to control the electric companies and by the way you can't even keep the power on you want to control the water oh, so that's the electric companies you want to know Transpower is run by the government. So your well, minister, there's a, there's your minister Megan Woods, needed to needs to take accountability for that. The same accountability that she never took for not building any houses. But anyway, you want to take control of everything. And I say you, as in your government and your socialist views. The problem is you haven't delivered fuck all in four years. So 
why would anyone give you the power to run anything else when you've delivered nothing in four years? Nothing. Delivered Zero. quite a bit. Given, given the reality of the pandemic and given the reality of coalition government with New Zealand first, um, delivered quite a bit, but uh, including lots of new houses and um, all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, all sorts of things I can't name. <laughs> I'm, on my second, I'm on my second beer this afternoon. It's difficult. I'll, I'm going to go back and edit it in, a whole list of things. I'll just read you them can't out. do that after the event. No, that's because then I, I need to edit in after the event as well. We need... You're not the editor, so <laughs> history is written, written by the editors, mate. Um, uh, well, haven't we seen that? <laughs> uh, move on. <laughs> no, we, we've, we've, you know, not delivered as much as we should have. I absolutely agree. Uh, or they've not, I should say. It's not my government delivered on as much as it should have. And I think that's because it's been overcautious, to be honest. I think it's been listening too much to the siren songs of people that wanted to open the bubble of Australia unrealistically early. Um, people that wanted to, you know, um, hold back on capital gains tax. People that wanted to um, stop us from doing all the fun stuff that would actually deliver a, a country that works for everyone. Um, but uh, hopefully people, you know, are learning their lessons. And hopefully in the third term, huge increase in in the takeover capture by the public sector of the economy you know whatever your political position we do need to actually remember the collective that um we are all in it together whether we like it or not and you know these selfish anti-vaxxers and indeed other people that try and take advantage of covid to push their agenda um are probably no helpful no help to anyone do you think this latest level four lockdown is going to harm Ardern's popularity, which has been tanking for a couple of months now? Do you reckon she could drop below 40? Labour could drop below 40? They might, but everyone I talk to, which does include a lot of people from all across the political spectrum, seems to be very supportive of the lockdown. Um, I, I think that it's the Delta variant that allows us to do this. I think if it was if we were doing this again just because of normal COVID, um, then that might be a different story. Uh, but I think the Delta variant and us start again from scratch. I do feel that I do feel that um, this is this is it. This is the last lockdown. I agree. And I feel like it can't go on for too long. I think four weeks, which is likely, uh, is dangerous. I think if we can get it done quicker than that, that'll be better, obviously. Um, I do agree, I'm sure with you, um, that you know, we need to try and allow construction to start again as soon as possible. Um, that's important for everyone's agenda. But I also think that we do need to stay the course. I think that, you know, where mistakes have been happen, happening, um, people need to hold their hands up. But I also think everyone needs to take their share of the blame. And the fact is the whole country was desperate for the bubble to reopen. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of you know what the issue is is the is the bubble reopening and the vaccine rollout not being as quick as it should have been or as smooth as it should have been and i think that in terms of the bubble then there's everyone can put their hands up to blame for that uh, including myself because you know i was i understood why people wanted to open so quick and in terms of the vaccine rollout yeah i think the government's got a part to play in that and needs to put its hand up to some of that but I also think that it just reinforces what we've already been saying, which is the DHBs aren't fit for purpose. I think it's interesting, four-week prediction. I, I, I have to say, 
and this is not a compliment to the government. I think you've just got lucky again. Um, the cases are probably not as high as I expected. I personally predicted 100 by Sunday, and Sunday, this Sunday is the 22nd of August. Yep. I predicted okay. now whether it's because the results aren't like, as you know, I'm in isolation because I was at a location of interest. I got notified on Friday. I was unable to get a test until 11.30 Saturday and was sat here at 6 o'clock on Sunday and I don't have my results. So there could be a bit of a bell wave about to come in the next three or four days. I'm stunned there's no cases in the Coromandel, absolutely stunned that there's nothing in the Coromandel. Wellington, not surprised because of the transiency. Um, I personally think if we keep going at 20 cases a day, we might be able to get out of level four, but we already know how cautious this government is, right? And that's not a that's not a bit of a nab at the government. It's the fact, yeah, yeah. right? Um, we might be able to get out of level four in two to three weeks. And then down, we know we're going through the levels, right? So it's going to be three, two, one. Um, so, you know, stuff like comedy and improv and all of that sort of stuff probably isn't starting again at the best until mid-September. Um it really, I reckon the next three days are massive. If we start to see 50, 55, 60, and it goes from 72 cases to 200, then, yeah, I think you're right. It's a month, you know, because to get from 200 to zero is, is a long way to go, right? It's 14 days again. We might see zero cases in two weeks' time, um, but I think we're still going to see cases every day of household contacts probably through to the middle of September. Yeah, I, I basically I agree with everything you just said. Uh, and I just say that, yeah, the four weeks is my worst case scenario. Um, and it is, you know, in line with what epidemiologists are saying as the worst case scenario. But I do think you're right. And I agree. Like I had predicted 100 cases by Saturday um, and, you know, 71 by today, which is closer to what you predicted. And so fingers crossed. But again, I agree there's a massive risk of a bow wave over there which is a good way of visualising it over the next couple of days. And um, we shall see. I think we'll be at 100 by Tuesday. I've got one question for you. And I know this is often a fantasy of yours. You're Jacinda Ardern. And um, tomorrow <laughs> afternoon, you have to stand there and you have to make a decision on the South Island. What are you going to do at 4pm tomorrow afternoon? taking into account the South Island has zero cases and everything so far is connected to the North Island. There's been no wastewater results from the South Island that have shown anything. Are you lowering the South Island to three or are you keeping them in four for one more week? I, yeah, I would want, and I know she will be, wanting to lower whatever the levels she can do, wherever she can, as soon as possible. I think the problem with the cases in Wellington means, yeah, you probably are looking at a North Island, South Island thing. So my pure guesstimate prediction would be that a sensible approach would be, unless I hear otherwise, if the Director of Public Health says these are the reasons why, uh, and I agree with them, then I can't see why you wouldn't lower the South Island's levels before the North Island's, if that's, you know, I think yeah. you're right. Basically, I think what you're getting at is, is, is correct. If they can be sure that there's no cases, and the problem is that, you know, we've always known that there are probably cases circulating that we don't even know about that don't get reported. 
and I think that's always their worry as well. Um, so I think taking that into, we have to take that into account. But yeah, I would certainly be very happy to see us say come out and say if there's no more cases in the south, if there's no cases in the South Island, let's allow the South Island to ramp up the levels a bit. Why I wouldn't? think yeah, I think the only danger for the South Island is not that they're going to all of a sudden find cases. I think um, hospitality and workplaces and everything like that can still, and even at level three, people aren't going to be meeting up, right? So it's still a relatively safe company. Yeah. No, I'm not one going to see the sales team at work for me. They're not going to want them popping in. I think the problem is if they do manage to kick off construction again, with most household construction products made in Auckland, then I think it's going to actually, they're still not going to be able to do a lot anyway because you can't ship anything out of Auckland at the moment because it's in level four, likely to be in level four for three weeks. Um, so this this thing today, I've seen, oh, we, we should open up regionally. God knows how you open Taranaki, but not the Coromandel, but you open Palmerston North, but not Napier. You know, I don't know how the hell but someone's going to manage that. Um, but I think on the South Island in construction, as you've already mentioned, I don't know how that carries on because pretty much everything's manufactured in Auckland or the North Island. So at some point, that's going to come to a grinding halt unless someone comes up with a master plan about how we can logistically make that work. Well, I think it would slow down. Uh, and this isn't a construction industry podcast, although we should do one um, <laughs> <laughs> from different angles. We could both, we could do that. Um, but uh, this isn't a construction industry podcast. But look, I do... I think you've raised a fair point, um, but I also think that you know there's plenty of there's plenty of work on construction. Having worked on construction sites myself, there's plenty you can do on there that actually does is work and um, does what does produce um, content uh, without having to have raw materials shipped down all the time or um, from from somewhere. Um, so I think it would take a while for that to be an issue, personally. But you you're more familiar with the industry supply chain than I am. And um, yeah, you probably do raise a you probably do raise a fair point, but you know, as you say, for, it does make a difference for all of those bottle stores and restaurants and everything like that that can move to Uber Eats um, to at least deliver stuff out to people. Um, it does make a difference to a lot of you know it does make a difference to construction sites being able to send people out. A lot of manufacturing sites, and there is a lot of manufacturing, um, especially food manufacturing in the South Island, which is happening anyway. But the way they do the work, because they're an essential service, um, but the way they do the work will be able to improve in efficiency under level three. So it will make a huge difference to the economy. There's no question. Oh, totally. I think there's a lot of people in the north at the moment that would be like, shit, I wish I could just get takeaway food or something. Um, because the pressure's all on the house, right? Because really? literally, yeah, <laughs> well, me and a whole group of family as well are just like, hell. Even and this brings me on to my next question, actually, because last night I cracked and I ordered um, a bottle of uh, <laughs> slain Irish whiskey and a bottle of um, gin. I can't remember what type of gin from um, the excellent chain of bottle stores here in Auckland, Glengarry. Uh, how about yourself? Have you cracked and like ordered any stuff like that? No, I just don't constantly have a lot of alcohol in my house. <laughs> Although I must say on Tuesday night when we went to get a couple of, and this wasn't panic buying, we literally went and bought about <laughs> 30. And I'll tell you why we did it. We went up to the supermarket on Tuesday night 
um, because we knew that New Zealand was going to go into level four. It was totally obvious. All the signs were there. Jacinda's going to Wellington. It's a case of the Delta variant. So we went and bought some meal things because it was our daughter's 16th birthday mm. on the first day of level four. So we went and bought some stuff to make her favourite meal for her birthday. She couldn't go out. And seeing as the supermarket was right next to the bottle store, um, we went and bought a bottle of port, a bottle of vodka and some something else. But like last lockdown, fuck, I bought like a truckload of shit, like hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol. Whereas this time <laughs> uh, it was about $120 worth. You know, it was way less than what it was before. Um, but that's probably because I've got more of a shit in the house and didn't need to go and buy as much. But um, yeah, so um, and, and have you had your alcohol delivered already? No, not yet. And in fact, I, I'd never ordered it before and I got a bit confused because on the website it says, oh, one of our delivery people will come and bring it and they'll use social distancing. They'll leave it outside your house and then text you when it's done and stuff like that. And then the next thing I know, I get an email linking me to NZ Post saying, here's your oh. NZ Post truck and trace. And it's like, are you going to put, are you seriously going to put two bottles of alcohol in NZ Post from a bottle store? And I know it's at a bottle store that's a 12 minutes drive away from me. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'm a bit confused by that. I'm going to be ringing them tomorrow if it hasn't arrived. Because um, I also paid a bit extra for urgent delivery. <laughs> yeah, because things were getting pretty desperate, right? So, I wanted it tonight. Uh, I wanted it tonight and it's not arrived. And um, uh, my, uh, my frustration is I actually ordered two bottles of whiskey out of Australia and they've been sat at customs since oh. the 4th of August. So I'm really frustrated. Like um, 18 days sat at customs. I don't know. So have you got any other predictions that are coming in the next week? Am I around? Well, I think there'll be some comedy Zooms that I won't be attending. How about you? Uh, yes, I think there's going to be a lot of comedy Zooms. Um, I'm gutted because um, I was due to go travelling and do some comedy. That now looks like it's off the radar till at least October. Me and you were both pretty much halfway. To, tomorrow was going to be halfway through our Improv 201. That now looks like it's going to be off until at least level two. So um, we could be seeing our um, our show delayed until the end of October. Um, but I think there's going to be some high-quality podcasts that people can listen to in the next couple of weeks. There are, not just from us. I'm sure there are others who do podcasts such as Ed Rivera, former guest who still hasn't invited us into his. <coughs> yeah, I often think about that. and He must have <laughs> thought, God, you pair are so fucking amateur. I'm not having you on mine. I know, I know. But I've listened to his. I don't think we're any, we're any worse. <laughs> to be honest, I think we should be on there. Um, might even improve it, Ed. Hey. Uh, <laughs> right, now you're going to get on. I won't get invited. No, that's right. Yeah, it'd be like, yeah. well, I'll, I'll then just make a stand and go if it's not other, true. The other thing that I forgot to, to give you the heads up I was going to ask you about and ask you if it's okay to ask you about it, so I'm going to ask you about it and then Good. I'll let is... Um, so the obviously we're both members of the New Zealand Comedy Guild. Yes, this AGM is on Zoom, so it's going to be next weekend. Uh, I can't see any reason for it changing. Given no. it's um, but uh, I I got all the papers the other day, and I was surprised and pleased to see that among other things, um, you put yourself forward to be on the committee, which was a bit of a shock. Um, but a, but why a good, were you shocked? Why were you shocked? Because uh, you'd kind of told me you weren't interested. <laughs> when you, well, actually, when you said that people had approached you, you said you weren't interested, and then you put your name forward. 
Yeah, look, I've got, I have been approached by a few people. And as you know, um, I already sit on an industry body already. Um, I think what probably got it over the line, there was just a lot of things lately in the comedy industry that I thought, actually, we need to be better. We need to be better. Um, and it's no good me sitting on the sideline chirping away about we need to be better. Actually, put your hand up and do something about it. And so that's where it's at. And look, you know, we joke about my age and I am 50. I'm not going to have a career in performance comedy forever. You know, like who knows how long that's going to be. But if I can utilize the skills that I've got over 20, 30 years in industry and the experience that I've seen, and, you know, I've been in comedy like you, stand up, improv, um, we've produced a show and we've done other things around that. I thought if I could use that experience and, and all of that for good, then I'd rather do that and help young comedians and, you know, various communities to get better representation, then why shouldn't I stand up and do that? Cool. No, good for you. And um, obviously I messaged you and said, uh, yeah, I'll vote for you as long as you vote for another motion. Um, but actually, uh, vote for Darren. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, no, it, it will be interesting, especially if the Guild does, um, and I do have lots of strong views on this, but I haven't had a chance to discuss them with anyone yet, so I'm not going to hear on the podcast, but, um, you know, the, the Guild is also potentially voting to become a union um, and affiliate to the, the, council, the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions, and it would be quite amusing to me to see you as a, as a union <laughs> leader. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, there's no, you know, it's, it's it's long been the case that there's no no union leader needs to have a particular political outlook. So it doesn't really matter, but it is quite amusing to me. Yes, and also I am the son of a shop steward union leader in the UK. Who so would be very proud people, of you. Very a, lot of people, a lot of people think that I'm this privileged, white, um, middle-class English person, but actually I was brought up in a very working-class left-wing unionist background so um yeah it will be very interesting to see if i make that transition hey i always tell people the reason i moved to new zealand is so i could finally benefit from colonialism <laughs> you're a shame you're a shameful <laughs> but no that was uh, that was good i think we covered off some plenty of uh, material there and um I'd certainly be interested in our viewers uh, making their opinions known uh, when we post this out and uh, people's view on lockdowns and our views and their views of our views. So I certainly welcome interaction from our listeners. Absolutely. Do message us on Facebook, send us an email, hello at thepodcrastinators.com or find the Podcrastinators NZ on Facebook uh, and send us a message. Um, hopefully this episode will go out tonight which is Sunday the 22nd 2nd of August 